Revelation, chapter 2 still. Revelation, chapter 2. We are to our third church. As you remember, uh, if you don't remember, I'll review real quick. John has been taken out of ministry in his 90s, out of Ephesus where he was pastoring. Uh, because he was proclaiming the word of the Lord, uh, the government had enough of him. So they put him out on a little island, a little rocky island out in the Aegean Sea called Patmos, where he was to break rocks all day as his punishment for being a follower of Jesus. While he was there, uh, the Lord came to him and told him to write down some messages, short messages, to seven churches that uh, he had been involved with, that Paul had been involved with, that had started some of them on their own, as this one here today pretty much started uh, from the church in Ephesus. They were kind of, this is a church plant. And uh, so then he was to send these back because some people came to visit John on this island. They did have prison visitation even back then. And so people went to visit, and they were the pastors of these churches who came to see John. And John wrote these letters down, as the Lord told him to. And then they took them back to Asia Minor. And uh, we discovered early on that this is actually a postal route. It's a circle that the post office would travel. The people who were carrying letters would travel, and they'd go from town to town. And they would deliver these, and these pastors would read them to their people. They would read all of the letters, not just the one for them, because they were Snoopy. So they'd read everybody else's, too. You know how it would be. You would do the same thing. And so as they read through those, they would get all the lessons, which, of course, was God's design in the first place. So uh, we've already gone through uh, Ephesus. We've gone through Smyrna. Now we are to a, a little town, not so little, actually, called Pergamum, or Pergamum. Pergamon or Pergamus, depending on the tense that you're talking about it in. So let us uh, read these verses. We're starting in verse 12 of Revelation 2 and going through verse 17. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwelt. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them 
with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, or who overcomes, in some translations, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. A lot there. A lot there. So let's dive in here. First off, this little town is 100 miles north of Ephesus, about 100 miles in Asia Minor, in mid-Turkey, modern Turkey. It's not a port. It's actually 15 miles from the Aegean Sea. It was Asia's capital for 250 years, starting in 133 B.C. Their king, <coughs> and, and, no, I'm, before that, they were the capital. And in 133 B.C., their king turned that city over to Rome, where it became a Roman stronghold there in that area. They had a library there, second only to the library in Alexandria. They had over 200,000 volumes, handwritten books. And uh, very interesting, uh, in Egypt, they used papyrus, remember? Made that they would kind of weave together into paper. Here, they didn't have that. So they actually used animal skin for their paper, for their parchment. And uh, they would make books. They would cut it into squares and write on it and actually bind it in a certain way. And that's what this uh, library was full of, was these books written on leather. Very interesting. Uh, they had a huge temple to Zeus. They had temples to Athena, to Dionysius. Uh, it was also a center of healing because of the temple to Aesculapius who was the god of healing. And uh, we'll get into that in a second. The temple of the, it was a temple of emperor worship there as well. The first one we know of in, uh, in the Roman Empire, the first big temple uh, devoted just to emperor worship, where you had to go once a year, remember? Just like in Smyrna, we learned last time, where you had to say once a year that Caesar is Lord of my life. And then you got a little certificate that was your little registration for the year. And if you didn't do that, you were a marked person. Uh, you refused to do that, you were picked out and oftentimes uh, not only imprisoned or, in jail, or jailed, but oftentimes killed for your faith. As their pastor Antipas here is mentioned in the screen, the, the passage, right? Who was killed as a, as a believer. Uh, right now, real close to this town, is a town in Turkey called Bergama. And uh, there's about 42,000 people there is all now. In the time that we're reading about, it was a much larger, much larger town. Cyrus conquered it. Um, and uh, when he did, what had been going on in Babylon, which was, as many of you know, we've talked about before, called the Mystery of Religion, started by Nimrod and his wife at the Tower of Babel, uh, at the Tower of, thank you, Babel, um, <clears throat> moved from there, when that was conquered, it actually moved to this city, 
Okay, this was the center of the mystery religions. And uh, that's one of the reasons that it's called the seat of Satan, or the, or the temple of Satan, is because that was all very anti-Christ, against Christ, very satanically operated. Um, the other reason I believe it was called the seat of Satan is because of this huge temple to Zeus, who was supposed to be the head god, right? He was the father of the other gods, and that they were replacing Christ, who is the king, with Zeus. And whenever you have a false god like that, that's the seat of Satan. And so that is a couple of explanations that I have for why Jesus calls that town, uh, says in that town they had that. Now this center of healing is very interesting, this Escalapius. We see it today. Anytime you see a, a symbol for a doctor or any kind of medical facility, you see a pole with a snake, right? Well, that all came from here. That came from this temple of Escalapius, okay? Still today, they use it. All, of, all around the world, they use that. And uh, if you wanted to get healed, they had many methods, but the most famous method they had in this town was that they would sedate you, because otherwise very few people could handle this. They would sedate you with drugs, and then they would lay you for a night or two or three on the floor of this temple, and they would let thousands of snakes loose in that temple. Uh, Non-venomous non snakes. But they would slither over your body all night <laughs> while you lay there. And uh, most people wouldn't do real well with that. <laughs> and they'd have to give me some good drugs to make me do that. Um, but supposedly then, you would be healed. Of course, it didn't work. But uh, as with many healings even today, they're psychosomatic. You seldom have a doctor give you a shot or give you a pill, and he says, well, this isn't going to help you at all, Lisa, but we're going to give it to you. No, when they give you a penicillin shot, they go, this is going to fix you right up, and you're going to get all better now. And whether it's a pill or whether it's your mind, you get better, don't you? You start to feel better. And that's the same thing that was going on here. But uh, very, very famous and very interesting because it has transferred through all these years. You can still see it on uh, any of those bracelets, you know, medical bracelets or anything. You still see that same symbol. Of course, it goes back to other biblical references too, doesn't it? Remember Moses? Exodus. Yep. Exodus, yep. Moses, remember, then Jesus used it when he was here and he said, just as Moses held up the pole, right? So the Son of God will be lifted up, and uh, those who look to him and those who put their faith in him will be healed. Ultimately, a moment where Paul and uh, the ship he was on crashed on an island, something with a snake. And... Yeah, there's another part of the snake there, too. Yeah, God didn't want him to die yet, had more for him to do, so the snake venom didn't affect him. Yeah. Yeah. God's got full control of all these things. You know, we think that all these things are just going to, no, God can intervene at any time. He can stop time. He can stop the sun from moving. It's not a problem for him. Uh, we think all those things are unchangeable. They're not. Okay. He is fully able to do whatever he well nigh pleases. We can't put him in a box. So, <clears throat> so when Cyrus took over to go back to where I was, uh, that center of Mr. Religion, which is still common today, uh, still very, very much alive through the Masons, through all these other religions of the world, uh, moved to Pergamos. And then from there it moved to Rome. 
eventually and uh, stayed in Rome. And some people think it's still there um, through all sorts of uh, things that are occurring there all the time. So uh, that's a little bit of background on that little place. We don't have any record of when that church started. We don't know. Uh, we don't know when it started. We know that it started about the same time that Paul was in Ephesus. You learn about that in Acts 19.10, where it says that while he was there for those three years, people started churches all over Asia because of that ministry that he had there. Okay, he had little church plants all over the place, and people would be in town, and they would hear the message, they'd be saved, they'd go back and start their own little church with us. And uh, just like little home churches, just like this, absolutely. So, that's a little background. All right? Let's start out with the verses here and walk through these. Very interesting things. All right, to the angel or to the pastor of the church in Pergamum, right? The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. Now, what is the two-edged sword? The word. The word of God. How else is it used? When Christ returns, it says that his two-edged sword will wipe out all opposition, right? So not only is it just the word of God, but the word of God is a weapon. It is a literal weapon, that's right. And other, way, other commentators have mentioned, you know, that it's two-edged because God is a God of grace and God is also a God of judgment, right, and justice. So that's another way to look at the two edges. Uh, it slices both ways, okay? You, uh, you get the grace, but there's also, when people step out of line, there's the judgment and there's the, there's the correction, which has to happen because he loves us. And so, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, then in Revelation 19.15, if you go over there, you see the famous mention of the two-edged sword. In 19.15, where it says, From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which he strikes down the nations, right? And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. So, uh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So there, it is definitely a weapon. Okay, it wipes out Revelation. the masses. Revelation, Revelation nineteen Probably and fifteen. It speaks a word, and, and it happens. I'm That's right. say, I've always equated it with his mouth. Yeah, it happens with his mouth. That's how he created the world, right? He spoke it, and it was. Well, he spoke it. Yeah, yeah. Revelation 116, yep. That's the way he's described, yeah. Yeah, all of these, remember, all of these introductions to these seven churches are repeats from chapter 1. Okay, these, these are just descriptions of Jesus himself. And every time it relates directly to what's happening in the church. Okay, here there needs to be some judgment in this church, doesn't there? There needs to be some judgment and some discernment going on because it has become lax. They've accepted things in the church, people in the church, that should not be attending church with them. <laughs> okay? People who have accepted the social norms 
and brought those things from their life before into the church. And we see it all the time today. Yes, we do. It is sad for me to say that, but uh, this or all around the world, it has happened over and over and over, and it's getting worse. It is not getting better. More churches are getting more liberal all the time. They are letting things of the world come into the church that the Bible distinctly forbids. Whether that is of a sexual nature, what is that, of gender, all that stuff that's going on, um, the whole female pastor thing that has been going on for a long time, the whole thing that goes directly against Scripture. Um, think about how many people you know in churches that are living together. Is that forbidden in Scripture? Pretty obviously. And yet, most churches today just, oh, well, it's not a big deal. To, to, to specify the obvious, outside of marriage. <laughs> outside yeah. of yeah. marriage. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it catches me all the time. I have couples come to me often who are living together and they want me to marry them. That puts me in a bind. That puts any pastor in a bind. Um, what do you do? Right? I mean, the, you, well, you'd be real strict and you say, no way. you got to be living separate for a year. I'm not going to marry you. I know pastors that do that. I have good friends that do that. Other pastors say, well, it's not a big deal. Uh, you know, we'll just marry you anyhow in the living room. Um, other pastors say, well, you need to repent. And you need to stop what you're doing. Before, before you get married, and, then we'll, and we'll marry you. You repent, and you straighten your heart out. Okay? That's where I tend to go. have, have gone in the past. Okay? That's where I have tended to go. That's where I like to go. Um, because they're going to get married anyway. And I'd rather they have somebody who knows the Lord and who can help them when they need help. So but that's even a compromise, isn't it? It kind of is. I struggle with that often. Uh, we all struggle with compromise. Whether you think you are or not, you are. Uh, the world is full of it. And you, I mean, just looking at a poster going down the highway is a sin for some guys. Okay? And it's just right there in your face. What are you going to do, right? You've got to make the choice to look away. Don't make eye contact. Don't make, there you go. <laughs> Don't make eye contact. But, uh, no, it is it is happening all the time, and that is that is a that's why God says that here's something to judge. So let's go through this. Verse thirteen. He always says, "I know, I know where you live. I'm better than Google. I'm better than Google Earth. I not only know what your house looks like, I know what it looks like inside." He knows all about us and what we are doing. And what every church is doing. And he knows that they dwelt just as we do today, where Satan's thrown in. Satan, as scripture calls him, is the Lord of the earth, right? He is the prince of the air. He is named all sorts of things. He has control of the earthly systems. If he didn't, how could he tempt Jesus in the wilderness and say, look, all you got to do is bow down to me and I'll give you the whole earth. I'll give you all the kingdoms. They will worship you and praise you because all you got to do is bow down to me. 
he had the power, as he still does, to control the earth, okay, and the worldly system, the evil systems that are in place, the governments, all those kind of things. Now, he has to get permission from God. Nothing happens without God's direct permission. But he still has that limited authority on earth. And so he that's where he lives. He lives right here. Okay? His demons are operating all around us all the time to try to draw us away. And we need to be aware of that. And he's saying here, don't let it in the church. It may be in Albertsons. It may be in wherever you go down to the park. You're going to see it. It's all around. But we ought not let it be happening in the church. Okay? So just so you know, if I ever find out, or any of us ever find out, that one of us is doing things that are totally ungodly, we're going to get on your case. Only because we're only because we love you. And I expect you to do the same thing for me. If you see something in my life that is wrong and is harmful to the, to the furtherance of the gospel, nail me to the wall. Please. Okay? We have to do that for each other. Because it is so easy to get off just a little bit. And pretty soon, you know what it's like. If you've ever done any geometry, you know in just a quarter of a degree... You go out two miles, you're a long ways off. <laughs> you're you're sighting in rifles like you're going to do this afternoon, Joe. You know, <clears throat> when you're at 100 yards and you miss it two inches, when you're at 1,000 yards, you're not even on the on a car. I mean, you, you know, it is way out there. So you've got to be in line. you got to be in line. you got to stay on, stay on point. And that's why he says he has this against the church. Um, and yet he gives them a commendation here in 13. He says, yet you hold fast to my name. You hold fast. You hold my name up and you praise me. You give me glory. You are, as a whole church, doing the right thing. What he has against them is that he is allowing, they are allowing people in the church to keep coming to church and affecting the church that are not living the life they should be. And that's the problem here. Notice how he says, I will come and they, I will go to war with them. Not with everybody. Yeah, right? Just them. we got to remember that's a distinction. Because it's easy for us to think that just because four or five people are not living the life and they're going to a church, the whole church is condemned. No, that's not true. Okay? God always says, for he who overcomes, for those of you that are, that are true blue and stay with me, and consistent with me, there's wonderful things in store for you. Okay? In every church, that is true. In all seven churches, there are faithful people. Okay? Even clear back with the lodge. Even clear back. It wouldn't destroy the righteous with the wicked. That's right. doesn't destroy the righteous with the wicked. Amen. And so, we have to remember that. Because it's easy for us to throw out the baby with the bathwater sometimes. And say, well, that whole denomination is shock. You know? It's easy for me to do that, too. And yet I know Christians that I truly believe are Christians in nearly every denomination. Why they stay there, I don't understand. They typically tell me they don't want to leave a sinking boat. They want to try to patch the hole and, and fix it, right? Well, good for them. That's difficult for me to do that. 
uh, when the whole denominational platform is anti-God. Okay. Uh, I don't know how I, I can't belong to a club like that. <laughs> I just can't. Um, but they do, and they still love the Lord, and they want to be there to help. And I, you know, that's their thing. That's between them and God. So there are remnants, okay? There always is a remnant, always will be a remnant of true believers. But <clears throat> the percentages, well, for the last six months have just blown my mind, the percentages, that uh, are much less true blue believers than I ever thought there were. Um, so many people have folded those beliefs for the fear. And it's been, a, it's been an eye-opener for me. So we need to be aware of that. I have a few things against you. There are some there. Oh, well, we talked about Antipas, right? We kind of skipped over that. But Antipas was their pastor who was killed. Um, tradition tells us that he was boiled in a large brass bowl. Uh Bowl or bowl? Roasted, yeah, in a bowl. Uh, in, inside, it was the bowl with no top on its back. It was a great big um, cauldron. Yeah, like a cauldron in the shape of a bowl. And uh, they heated him up like a frog and uh, roasted him in there and boiled him in there and killed him alive. Because they thought that was fun. So, uh, Many ways people have died. Just read the Book of Martyrs and uh, read some of those uh, publications, and it's incredible the way that people can come up with to kill other people just because they love the Lord. And that is uh, that will be coming back, brothers and sisters. Uh, there will be people who are killed for their beliefs. Uh, they're all over the world right now. We just haven't had it in this country yet. But uh, it's starting up. Yeah, the Middle East has been doing it. I don't think they've ever stopped. Clear through history, yeah. And it's still happening today. We talked about Smyrna last week, remember? And Smyrna is in Turkey right now called Izmir. And that's the biggest port in all of Turkey. And the Muslims are killing Christians right and left there right now. With um, ISIS, there's a massive increase. Yes. ISIS got that kind of back on track, didn't it? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Killing Christians. And China, same thing, other places in the world. So we have not seen it here. We've started to see imprisonments. <clears throat> We've started to see people getting taken to jail for their beliefs. Uh, and people being told they can't meet, right? Can't get together. And uh, all that is to try to eliminate Christ and eliminate the effect of God on this, in this planet. And it's all anti-Christ. Antichrist is much closer than we think, right? It's all around us. Just kingdom, at least. Yep. Anything against Christ is Antichrist. Kind of makes sense. So, who is this Balaam? The teaching of Balaam. Well, to find that out, you've got to go to Numbers. Clear back to Numbers. And you can go back and read that this afternoon. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Numbers 22 to 24 tells the story of Balaam. Balaam, we find out. See, did I go through all Okay. Balaam, we find out, uh, was a sorcerer. He was never a true prophet. 
but he claimed to be a prophet, as some sorcerers today claim to be have prophetic gifts. Uh, he was a sorcerer, and uh, he was famous. And so, as the uh, Jews came up to the border of Moab, uh, the king of Moab found out that Balaam was around, and he said, Hey, Balaam, I want you to curse the Israelites so they won't take over our country. Okay? I want you to curse them because I'm kind of afraid of them. They've, you know, they've been able to wipe out places bigger than we are, and I want you to you know, curse those guys. Put a curse on them. Get out your book of curses and figure something out. Well, Balaam tried that three times, and it didn't work. He couldn't do it. God wouldn't allow him to curse. And remember, that's the whole thing with, with the jackass, right? The whole thing. With the little donkey who had to strike to finally straighten him out. What he did do, however, is he came into Balak, the king, with a plan. He said, let me tell you what you do. You find your best-looking 20- to 25-year-old gals, or 15- to 20-year-old gals, your best-looking women, and you have them start walking around on the border there. And those Israeli boys will get attracted to them. And they will come over there and they'll marry those gals. And then those gals can turn them. You watch. And sure as the world, that's what happened. And uh, that's how they, that's how they, uh, they did. They infiltrated, they changed the whole religious nature of the Jews there. By miniature marriage. What did God told them always to do? Don't intermarry with pagans. Okay? Don't do that. What's he tell us to do? Don't marry somebody who's not a believer. It's not going to turn out well. It's just, it never will. And he, so it was all the way back to his nation when he was taking them into the new land. Don't intermarry. Don't start doing that idol worship like you came out of Egypt with. It'll suck you right back. It'll suck you right back. Don't do it. And sure as the world, they did it. And that's how Balaam got them to, uh, to go back. See, to sacrifice to idols, eat food, to worship idols. Uh, they started doing all of that again. And to practice sexual immorality, which is marrying someone that not only isn't your faith, but doing, you know, sleeping with them before you get married. That is immorality. It is. This is not new. That's right. There was a lot of uh, pedophilia back then. There was a lot of all of that. It is, that is not all not new. Um, not new at all. Um, so, <clears throat> as that attacks the church, brothers and sisters, even today, we need to be aware of that. We need to be aware of that. When someone comes and they're living with somebody, we need to talk to them about it. We need to say, look, you are headed down a dangerous road. Okay? It's not going to turn out well. You need to rip. What, is it, what, is it, what does he say here? starts with an R. Repent. Yep. God is a God of second chances. He is. Multiple. Multiple second chances. But if you don't repent, if you continue in that blatant sin, there is a price to pay. You're going to have consequences in your life. Okay? There is. I mean, you can go anywhere with this. Not only sexual immorality, you can go to indebtedness, you can go to debt, right? 
Can that ruin your life? Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. And what does the world want you to do? Kids, when they're what, 12, 13 years old now, are getting credit card applications. Oh, yeah. That is the number one advertised item in the nation. More money is spent to advertise credit cards than anything else. And mailings and everything else. Why? Because they want you to go into debt. Because that's where they make their money, is off the interest. Yep. And scripture is clear, isn't it? Don't go into debt. You go into debt, who are you a slave to? God? No. You're a slave to the person who loaned you that money. Or the institution who loaned you that money. You're a slave to You can't be a slave serving God and slave them and be a slave to them at the same time. Can't serve two masters. Scripture is clear. So even money, right? Even that new ring that is so tempting, oh, it'd be so nice. Yeah, it'd be nice. Cost you double what you paid for it and turn you into a slave the whole time you're paying it off. Is that God's will for us? No. No. So all these little things, see, slip in. I can't tell you how many Christians I know that buy a new rig every couple of years, just in debt all the time. They just think it's just normal. Everybody does that. Well, I'm sorry. That's, the Bible talks against that. Well, today you have to wonder. Today you have to wonder. A lot of people would. A lot of people would jump off the bridge if they were told to. Uh, so, then he goes on and talks about the uh, the Nicolaitans. And I told you before, they were mentioned before in, a, in another uh, letter. And we really don't know a lot about them, other than the fact that they are compared to the people of Balaam. Uh, they're compared to people who just live life to the fullest, party, have a good time. Um, you know, God's going to forgive us, no big deal. Uh, we're going to do whatever we want. And uh, live life to the fullest, you know, have justo and, you know, whatever they call it, you know, wine, women, and song. I'd like to know what it means. And go along. Huh? I said, I'd like to know what it means. Well, they think it was a guy by the name of Nicholas who started a cult, basically, a pleasure cult. Um, we don't know that. But that's what's assumed. That's why they call it the Nicolaitans. You know what they say about Yeah. Uh, corruption by compromising with the world is what we're talking about, isn't it? And the Nicolaitans and other groups from history, the only thing we can tell about is it was all about pleasure. All about pleasure. Having fun. And how often do we hear that today? What do you want to do? Let's just have fun. Why can't we just have fun? Well, life was never intended to just be fun, okay? There's work involved in living. There is time doing things that you don't even want to do. As I was teaching, kids would tell me all the time, I don't want to do that. And I would go, well, that really doesn't matter. <laughs> hate to tell you that, but most of your life you're going to spend, spend it doing things you don't want to do. Okay? That's called being an adult. Living in this world. If you did everything you wanted to do all the time, you would never be able to make any money. You'd never hold a job. You'd never have a relationship. You would be alone and under a bench somewhere. Okay? No. You don't do things just for fun. 
okay? It doesn't sustain the world. Now, as you as you realize who you're working for, and you work for Jesus, and you do a great job for Jesus, is that fun? Yes. Okay, you can still have fun doing work uh, when it's done for Jesus, and you feel good that you're helping people, and you're doing good, that's wonderful. Okay, I'm not saying that. I just have to be a drag all the time. But to think that you can just have fun all your life, like these guys, and just party every night, there's a price to pay for that. Price to pay for that. And God says, stop it. He says it right here. Stop it. Therefore, repent, verse 16. And if not, I will come to you soon and war against them, that's those who are doing these things, with the sword of my mouth, with the word of God. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says of the church. Whenever he says that, that's because a lot of people don't have an ear today. If you do not have the Holy Spirit living in you, you don't hear much of God's common sense. It makes no sense to you. We expect the world to have the same level of common sense and discernment that we have. The only reason we have that, brothers and sisters, is because of the Holy Spirit. If we didn't have the Holy Spirit, I'd be I'd be wearing a mask every twenty four seven. I'd wear it to sleep. I might get sick. I might die. Oh no. Okay. But with God's discernment, I realize that He is in control of my life. If He wants me to come home to heaven, I can stub my toe and get gangrene and die. That could happen, right? There's a risk. Whenever I walk in the dark, there's a great risk of that happening. Especially in a new house, where I don't know where Lori's moved the furniture. I mean, there is a chance of stubbing my toe, man. It could happen. There's a chance of all sorts of danger in this world, okay? Just getting in our vehicles and driving home is very, very, very dangerous. Walking on a sidewalk. Walking on a sidewalk. Walking next to a cliff, a rock could fall off of there and hit you in the head. You don't. Okay. No, if your time is up, your time is up. If God wants you home, he's bringing you home. And so and there's no reason to fear. But without the Holy Spirit's understanding of that in our lives, we would be scared to death like everybody else. If that's all there is here. That's all there is. Yeah. And that's what he was sent to do. That's right. So we've got to realize that we need to... Be grateful, first of all, that we have that Holy Spirit that gives us that comfort and that wisdom and that freedom from fear. But we need to not judge others so harshly either, brothers and sisters. We need to realize where they're coming from, the reason why they're so scared. Okay, And the best thing we can do is to tell them how they don't have to be scared. Okay? They don't need to have that fear in their life. Yep, and that's what he says here. He says they're not going to listen many times. They're not going to hear you. They're not going to hear you. You know, I talk to people, and they we talked about money, and I'll say you don't want to go into debt. They'll go, oh yes, I do. I think it's great. That brand new Dodge pickup looks really good, Brett. You should drive it. Oh man, talked to a guy this week. You know, he bought like an eighty thousand dollar car. And I said, yeah, he says, I just love that car. And I said, well, yeah, ha, 580 horses, I'd like that too. 
But uh, I said, you know, what's that done to your life? Well, you know, sometimes I can't buy groceries. Oh, is that all? <laughs> you know? Uh, no, there are consequences. But when we get our heads, when we get our mind set, right, when temptation comes in, whatever it is, it can be a woman, it can be a man, it can be a car, it can be whatever, we get, boom, tunnel vision. Idolatry. We cannot hear idolatry. It's all idolatry. Then you lose your sense of hearing, you lose your sense of peripheral vision. Okay, boom, I want that. Right there. <laughs> right? That's what happened to you. You wanted to get to Albuquerque, no matter what. God said no. God had to say, nope, we're going to roll your rig instead. Okay. There you go. And so, God, there are consequences, I'm telling you. You know, God loves us. And he will discipline us. So, we need to quit allowing those things in our life. That's what this letter is telling us. That's what this letter to Pergamum is telling us. Repent. So I don't have to come and do war against those who are doing these things. And what it means is to get them out of your church. Okay? Get them out of your church. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Now it turns positive, which is my favorite part. The part I like. It says, <clears throat> the one who conquers, or the one who overcomes, I will give some hidden man. Now, Overcomers, that all comes from 1 John uh, chapter 4. In 1 John 4, um, it talks about overcomers, Let's, or those who owe that who overcome. Let's look at that. 1 John 4, verses 4 and 5, it says, Little children, that's us, you are from God and have overcome and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Yep. <clears throat> One of the scriptures I was They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We who are from God, however, we know God, We, whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. Clear. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. That's how we know if someone is telling you the truth. If they're from God and they are speaking God's truth to you, you can believe it. Okay? If either one of those things are not right, then you can't believe it. So you check it out for yourself in Scripture. Another thing that I don't know when, but a long time ago, was like that is part of that is uh, verse 8. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Yep. Absolutely. There's always a selfish intent if you don't have God in your heart. What that means. It's always what's in it for me. Yeah. Instead of when you have God's love in your heart, it's what's in it for you. What can I do for you? Right? Totally the opposite. Which is a great way to live. I highly recommend it. Um, so, <clears throat> those who can pay attention, who have an ear to hear, let them hear what you are going to get. Now, the hidden manna. What was manna? Food. Mm -hmm. 
Because the Israelites quit. Did he give it to them every day? Yep. No. Every day except Friday. Okay. I mean, Friday he gave them a double portion so they didn't have to get it on Saturday. They didn't get it on Saturday. But they got it, and it, that's the only time it lasted, too, because otherwise it'd go bad, right? And just a short amount of time. So the people that ate that, I'm sure, were going, oh, more manna is what I need. But what did Jesus say he was when he was here? He is the bread of life. That's right. So we, if we hold fast and we overcome the world, we will be given the bread of life, okay? the hidden bread of life, which they didn't understand what that was supposed to mean. But that manna was supposed to lead them to an understanding which when Jesus came, he was the eternal bread of life. Okay? Just like he took care of them then, he takes care of us now, right? We never want him. Okay? God will take care of you. If you live your life for Jesus and you do what he tells you to do, that means you don't work, you don't eat. A lot of those things that people don't like to talk about, um, you do those things, God will take care of you. Okay? He may use he may use a store that pays your bills, okay, because you work there. He may use that. That's fine. But he will take care of you. And that's the hidden manna that this is talking about, I believe. We can trust that. Another side of that is that's also where the communion comes from. So when he gave the bread, the bread was his body that we couldn't There you go. Absolutely. A representative body broken. You know, not given, not broken, but given for us. Yeah. Absolutely. So. And that's that hidden manna. And then we get to an interesting thing here, don't we? This is a white stone. Lots of ideas about this white stone. If you go back to get the context of the white stone, uh, if you go back into history, there's a number of ways the white stone was used. And I will tell you a few of them and let you pick what you think it really means, okay? Because nobody really knows. <clears throat> When you went to a athletic competition, you went to state track in those days. If you were the first place winner, if you came across the finish line first, you were given a white stone, like a gold medal was given today. Okay. That white stone not only meant you were the champion, but it also gave you an it was an entrance ticket to the feast of champions. Okay. Are you getting the symbolism here? Where we are given a white stone to let us be a, a participant in the wedding feast of the Lamb, right? In heaven. That's wonderful symbolism. I like that one myself. Um, another way a white stone was used is that you would have a small white stone, and if you had a dear friend, a best friend, and they were moving away, you would have your names on that stone, you would break that stone, and you, they'd have it two separate necklaces, or things you'd put on your table, whatever. When you got back together, you could put the stones together, and you'd be united again. So, <clears throat> the symbolism there, obviously, with the white stone, is that Jesus is now up there, and one day we'll be with him, right, where we can be one again like that, even physically. So, that is another symbol of it. There's all kinds of other ones. If you were uh, invited to a state dinner in Rome at the time, uh, if you were, you know, in that clique, <laughs> you were in that upper 
echelon of people that were invited to state dinners. Many times, the or all the time, I read one place, all the time, the invitation would be written on a white piece of marble, yeah. Yeah, rich folks. They'd get that on an invitation, like you would get a certified letter with gold, you know, if you were in that world today, and invited to the White House or whatever, you'd get a gold, you know, all kinds of parchments and fancy letterheads and everything. So that is another meaning, which obviously then leads us to, once again, the uh, the wedding feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb, which Scripture talks about. So those are the three main ones that I ran into. So I'll let you pick. I'll let you pick which and one you. Also later in the book of Revelation, the white stone judgment. That white stone, the white throne where judgment, your, where your name is written on the stone. There you go. Very similar. Very similar. That's right. The white, what we call the white throne judgment. So <clears throat> when uh, it says your new name, you know, don't ask me what that name is going to be because it says we don't know. We're not going to know. But you know, God is good at giving people new names, isn't he? Okay. Used to be Saul, became Paul. Used to be Simon, became Peter. Used to be Abram, became Abraham. I could go on and on, couldn't I? So <clears throat> there are new names. Why? Because God knows who he's going to turn you into and what you're going to be. Yeah. Israel, yeah. What you're going to be is who God has designed you to be. And when you become that, when you are in his presence, he will give you that new name. Okay. To me, it means that we have value. You know? He wouldn't mess with us if we didn't have value. Yeah. He wouldn't promise us things like this that are so personal. He wouldn't and teach that's, us lessons. No, he wouldn't. He wouldn't teach us lessons. He wouldn't write these letters to us to help us become the people that he's going to name that day. That's going to be a cool day. It's going to be a wonderful day. So, <clears throat> be encouraged by the end of this letter, okay? But the middle of this letter is meant to warn us as a body of believers. That's what the church is, right? All these churches are just people. Don't get, don't get confused. Don't think this is sent to a building in Pergamon, okay? That's not what the point is. The point is this was sent to the group of believers in Pergamon who were trying to live for Jesus, okay, following Jesus. So that's the same thing we have right here in this room. There's a bunch of us doing our best to follow Jesus, praying for his wisdom, and when the world wants to come in and say, no, you can do this, it's okay. We need to say no. When people come to church, we love them, we accept them, we don't accept what they do, we love them, we encourage them to be followers of Jesus, but if they have things in their life that are damaging them, we confront that, don't we? And if we don't, then we say, you know, we, we it's just damaging to our fellowship to have you here. You know, if you're not willing to repent, it's damaging. And uh, you need to not, not join us anymore. That's a hard thing to do. I haven't had to do that yet. Not here, I haven't had to do that. And that's wonderful. I hope I don't ever have to do that. But it's pretty clear we're supposed to do that, isn't it? Because otherwise, God will come and do it for us. <laughs> Sometimes he carries a little bit bigger club than, than 
just our work of asking them how to So, any other comments or questions about this letter? This is quite a letter. I, the, the white stone thing, another thing that I've heard, I don't know if it applies or not, but when they voted in, was it Greece or certain societies, you know, uh -huh. that, a black stone for no and a white one for yes. Yes, that was what a jury did. And they would put it in a That was in a, a state of, uh, in a courtroom. Uh, that was it. That's another one. Yeah, that's true. I ran across that one too. If, like if you were on a jury and uh, you voted innocent, you'd hold up the white and the black would be guilty. Yeah. So once again, you have the white hatted cowboys and the black hatted cowboys. What some of the churches used to do is they got you and they knew you were sinning. They'd have you sitting on the center row in the back. <laughs> there you go. It's probably black. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, in the, in the back room, until you got yourself straightened out. The back, black pew, there you go. So there's a lot of applications to that, and I, I think they're all the same. fact is, if you want to be um, living for Jesus, you're going to be receiving a white stone, okay? Because he provides cleansing, doesn't he? Right? Why we're always depicted in white robes. Yes. So for me, I like the last uh, verse 17 where, you know, it says, which no man knoweth. Yeah. Except he that receives. Yeah. And so you think about all the people in the world, and it's always, you know, trying to get dressed as, like, you are special to the Lord. Amen. You, and him, you know, and so it's something special. Yeah. Well, especially when you have a name like John. I mean, how many Johns are there? <laughs> right? Millions of Johns, right? I know. And so, but that day might be spelled different, be a whole different name. We don't know. But it'll be unique to you because you're a unique child of God. That's right. Amen. God gave those stars. I'm sure we'll figure it out. Yes, he did. <laughs> yes, he did. And he keeps urging us build a bigger telescope. You got the Hummel? Build a bigger one. I've got more stars to show you. You don't even know what I've created. Okay, we could be seeing just an infinitesimal part of his creation. Isn't that magnificent to think about? The stars we see could just be a few. Oh, Even I'm though sure there are billions of them. They're just a few of the ones that he has created for his glory. So be encouraged that uh, you have a wonderful future in store for you as we overcome this world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for the encouragement at the end of this letter. It is easy for us to uh, get discouraged with so many things trying to enter the church, so many things trying to tempt us uh, today in our society, as has always been the truth. We don't mean to complain, Lord. We know that every, every country and every society has gone through the same thing. They've had the same evil temptations because Satan only knows how to operate the way he knows how to operate. And so his old tricks are the same tricks he uses today. And yet, Father, they just seem to be everywhere, and they seem to be affecting so many people, people that we love, people that we care about. They seem to be so deceived, because they are so deceived, Lord. And, and I just pray that your Holy Spirit would soften their hearts and that we could be a tool for you to use to bring them to an understanding that they don't have to be manipulated like they are. They don't have to be controlled 
by their uh, pleasure and by their fun, buttons, and all those things that the world tells them is so important. Father, but they can have an inner peace that surpasses all of that, and an inner joy that is so much greater than fun. Father, thank you that we have found that to be true in our own lives. I pray that we would hold tight to you and hold closer to you as the times grow dimmer and darker and more black. Father, I pray we could go out this week and be a light for you. We shine on a hill to show others the way to come to you. Father, use us. Help us to be aware of those opportunities that are so easy to miss if we're not aware. Thank you for bringing this group together today, Lord. It's just a joy to be with brothers and sisters who love you. The highlight of my week. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this time to be with each one. Bring us back together again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.